Hello and welcome back to the NND TBR podcast. I'm your host, Nicole. Today I have a very special guest speaker and I look forward to letting you finally hear this episode. Okay, so this week I have with me again the fabulous Jenna Van Maurick. Thank Yay. you for joining me. <laughs> And we are here today talking about books that take place during like the Passion Week. And, um, you know, it was funny when, when I started the idea of this podcast, it's like, oh, there's going to be lots. And I mean, there's so many Christmas themed books. I mean, that's a whole genre in itself, yeah. but comparatively, there aren't many set that take place during that time or even fo- even contemporary that are focused during like the Easter or resurrection. Yeah. Thing. Like, why do you think that is? I mean, from a biblical fiction perspective, being that I've spent the past three years trying to figure this out, um, it's really hard to write about the Passion Week or even in general, just about Jesus's ministry because mm-hmm. for one thing, the gospels don't agree about everything. <laughs> and it's one of those things where you're like going to your primary source and you're like, okay, tell me how this happened. And they're like, we don't actually agree. And I like keep a running tab in my head of all the questions I have to ask Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John about why they were so frustrating in the way they wrote things down, making it so difficult for me thousands of years later. But like, you have the synoptic gospels and you have John and things just don't agree. And you have to be extremely careful. I mean, already, I think with biblical fiction, you have to be really, really careful because people mm-hmm. are going to have thoughts if you mess it up. We've talked about this before, I think. Yeah. But then you just take it to the ministry of Jesus and suddenly yeah. that's a whole other level of like, don't mess up. It just adds even more on top of that, more pressure on top of that. Mm-hmm. So I can see why logically. Yeah. And I also think, like, to jump into Ben-Hur, it's only been two minutes, what, and I'm already into Ben-Hur, but to jump into Ben-Hur, if you look at, like, the 1959 movie, which I just mm-hmm. recently rewatched, they don't actually show, they don't show the face of the actor portraying Jesus. I and heard about that, the whole, there's, like, a real reason behind that with those old movies. Yeah, because, and you don't, and, like, to a certain extent, I'm, like, that's kind of what, I would want to do in books, but that's hard to do. You can't just like fade to black or like turn up the music while you're writing. That that doesn't make any sense. But like to a certain extent, you want to be really careful about how you portray stuff. And I think that that has to do a lot. And I'm looking at the books that I have in front of me right now. And the majority of them are like primarily with fictional characters as the main characters, which is just like a safety step almost to kind of yourself a little bit. Yeah. And I mean, since I know we're going to be talking about books, but also to talk about movies, I don't know if you've seen the mini series. It was um, Matthew. And so it, oh, it is a word for word um, dramatization type mm-hmm. thing of the book of Matthew. So it's step-by-step parts of it are Matthew narrating it mm-hmm. as he's writing down the gospel. So that's kind of the setup of it. But I mean, that to me was such an amazing thing because to me, the actor who, I really liked the actor who played Jesus. And to me, it made him so um, 
personal, like you could really relate to it. And it was like in contrasting with the older style where it was showing such reverence that they wouldn't even show mm-hmm. the character Jesus's face. I mean, yeah, I mean, there, it, it does have to be done so right, but I feel like there is such an opportunity to yeah. make him come alive. Not that he isn't, but to introduce him in fiction. I'm so probably going to say this all wrong. I always feel so weird when I say that about the like people are like why do you read biblical fiction I'm like oh I just love how it makes the bible come to life and I'm like but wait that sounded wrong (laughs) the bible's the living word of God but like in a different way yes yeah Mm -hmm. and I feel like it's it's again that power of the story that you can do it I feel like it sheds on such great light Mm -hmm. to make it to make it pop that it's like these are and these were real people you know and for some reason biblical uh fiction can do that yeah I feel and who knows why (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) okay so are we gonna start with Ben-Hur or should we what's one of your favorite (laughs) let's start at the beginning just go chronologically you know Ben-Hur is fantastic I love Ben-Hur I recently found out that like you can visit the General Lou Wallace uh, study and museum in Indiana. And I'm super mad because I was in Indiana last summer uh, to visit Alicia from For the Love of Christian Fiction. And I was like, why didn't you take me here? Why didn't you know about this before I visited you? Because I would love to go there. Wow, that is, man. Yeah, that would be interesting. (laughs) Oh, and it's, it's so neat too that it's like even with the um the movie retelling with the mm-hmm. the novelization that they did of that they had yeah. his what like great granddaughter yeah great great something <laughs> yeah and it's like that's just such a neat connection to the past and that's one of the few times where I think I've ever really approved of people updating a classic book because it's like oh that's okay because she's related to the author but I think a lot of times I see people like rewriting classics and I'm like hmm hmm it's okay it's a choice but like then you see that I thought that was so cool that was a really cool connection Mm -hmm. but um I feel like he did such a great job in introducing that whole concept of having that fictional character Mm -hmm. traveling like alongside and parallel to the times of Christ so to me, that was just such, I mean, I watched the 1950, it's in 1959, yeah. well, the, the, real, the Charlton Heston one, yeah. um, like almost every year with my family growing up. So, I mean, that is like, yeah. that's just. Easter, uh, Easter week, the week leading up to Easter mm-hmm. for my family is just Charlton Heston week. We start with the Ten Commandments. We go to Ben-Hur. It's a whole thing. <laughs> oh, it is. I know. That's just such a thing because yeah and I just loved how that story paralleled because it also makes you think of to me it made me think even from a young age of you know there were people that were living their day-to-day lives their day-to-day sagas a long time this and how many times that uh Jesus encountered people that we don't know about and what is it in one of the gospels I, can, I always it's like I remember it's written down but I can never remember exactly which one I know but, what you're talking about and I'm pretty sure it's like <laughs> written in my book like it's in the back page oh and I don't remember oh but it's like it said that if all the things that Jesus yeah. had done 
were written down, there wouldn't be enough books to hold that. And I just think it's like, oh man, how many people did he interact, even in small ways throughout his whole life, that Mm -hmm. we've never seen and never heard about. Yeah. But their stories are still out there. So I feel like that just opens the everyday normal interactions, not even like necessarily miraculous or like noteworthy, quote unquote, but like just casually like oh hey dude at the store how you doing can I buy you some groceries (laughs) I know and it's like you know there were real people and it's like it's not recorded in the bible because it's not it wasn't considered you know vital but it's like yeah (laughs) the thing that I love the most about Ben-Hur and just how like the original was written is it's a lot of people at the time like critics and stuff complained because it's so long and like the descriptions can feel to a certain extent burdensome and laborious to get through and that was like its major criticism at the time but it still ended up being one of the highest selling novels of that area era and I'm pretty sure Mm -hmm. it hasn't gone out of print or it didn't go out of print for a very very long time like very record-breaking book and I think the thing that makes that so like the reason that that was that happened and why it was so popular at that time is because like if you look at like catalogs or different things from that era people when they bought a bible they didn't just go and buy like a pocket bible or they didn't buy like their study bible their life application bible and their devotional bible like you had the one bible that's like yeah. you know huge six inches thick and that bible is your bible it's your dictionary it's your concordance it's all the things all rolled up into one because if you didn't have like a pastor or a a parish or a church in your area and you were like in the circuit writing pastor system you needed to have that resource and I think Mm Ben-Hur really took off because it was so full of description and because it was so full of research that like when it when you're reading that it to them who maybe don't travel as much or even like can't just google pictures of the holy land you have this right. book that's going to like bring that to life and bring that to something you can understand in that time period, which I think played hugely into its success in that like day and era. That makes a lot of sense because you're right. It's like books have been the vessel that we can travel mm-hmm. through. Yeah. And there probably isn't, wasn't a lot that explored that region for that time frame so well, yeah and i'm the same way like there's lots of you know romantic mm-hmm. novels or like adventure novels but maybe not like wholesome or like uplifting and such in like the same kind of way that the plot of ben-hur is this just inspirational yeah yeah definitely it had that real saga feel to it too mm-hmm. so yeah because it just goes it- on And I love like the general Lou Wallace, you know, wrote it originally intending to write a story from like the wise men or the magi's perspective, Mm -hmm. which carries through a lot of the book. And then, you know, in the middle, he's kind of like, you know what? I like this Ben-Hur character I've just created. I'm just going to throw him in the middle of this. But like, I love the idea of just fiction. I mean, obviously we'll get to this when we talk about my book, but like the idea of these people that Jesus interacted with, they had like families they knew and they're told this amazing message and it's like the bible's just like you know and they rejoiced and then jesus grew up and it's like okay but what about those people that like knew the messiah was yeah like how do you live with that knowledge it's just so fascinating i love ben-hur 
This whole podcast <laughs> is about Ben Hur now. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And then we'll like refer back to Ben Hur. I mean, it was just so, and I remember how being so shocked I was in a circle and mm-hmm. I mentioned Ben Hur and they're like, well, what is that? And I guess, I guess they had not been ingrained with the Charlton Heston their yeah. whole life, but it was like, <laughs> um, yeah. it just, it just opened that way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it was really cool. I feel how Ben Hur brings it full circle. It it mm-hmm. mentions the birth. It mentions the wise, and it goes all the way. And it, it's it's that parallel character, and how key um, his um, crucifixion mm-hmm. like was. And I just feel yeah. like that was so. It really puts you there, mm-hmm. and it, it has so much meaning. Lifetime. Like you experience a whole lifetime with those characters, and you realize. Yeah. For us, reading the gospel can take an hour or two, but like yeah. them, this was their whole life that they're experiencing all these different events that all lead up that we look at it in hindsight and we're just like, oh yeah, that makes sense. But like mm-hmm. for them, they're living through it and people lived through it, which is just oh, chef's kiss. <laughs> yeah. And also like with the, I mean, I don't know if I can do spoil, well, spoiler, like about how we realize that even after, you know, because we know during the disciples' time, there were people with ailments. I mean, as many miracles is as Jesus did and all the healing that he did, there were still people that needed. And I don't wonder how many times there were, you know, your day-to-day people that really felt like they missed out. Yeah. when when you know they hear all this buzz they're trying to get to him but he didn't heal everybody you know what I mean it's just like it was just that suspense in the end that you were like you know what's going to happen yeah but it's like there were people that still wanted hope that still wanted mm-hmm. that so yeah I feel like that was an interesting look into the mindset maybe of the people who were there so mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> now that we've ben got her part one, her like energy out of us. Yes. Okay, so I'm going to say I feel like this was one of the very first biblical fiction that I mm-hmm. like really read and absorbed and loved, and that was *The Thief* by Stephanie Lansing. I'm so glad that you brought this up because I just read this last week. podcast I was like I know Nicole has talked about this I have to read it before the podcast and I was also trying to like find other books that are like similar in plot to my book for Mm -hmm. some projects I'm working on I loved it so much (laughs) was that not like that was the one that I'm like oh my goodness why have I not read it like yeah I read it a few years ago but I mean it has like an enemies to lovers type thing which I love and I'm so here for that <laughs> it was so there was so good it was such good tension throughout mm-hmm. and like I saw a whole new way because I one thing that I do love about this time period too is like when an author gives like an insect that insight that it's not like they're rechanging or, or doing anything but they give an insight that you think about it and you meditate on the Bible a different way mm-hmm. and to me and you probably know this, like, I saw a whole new way to look at the, the other thief on the cross. Yeah. And, oh, it's like, you know, they had backstories too. Mm-hmm. You know, they were real people. They are not just fillers. They had a reason why 
they did the things that they did and they had a reason that they were there yeah. and you know and also I don't know if you like how <laughs> Jesus <laughs> I'm so glad that we could talk about this one because it's like how Jesus would ask people well what do you want from me yeah and it's like they would ask um you know for for healing of a certain ailment or whatever to be cured from something and he would grant them that but it's like and then the contrast of the thief on the cross asks him for eternal life yeah and you get it and it's like oh my goodness like who really got the best deal mm-hmm. I so i in my head as i was reading it i was like you know what these characters and my characters exist in the same universe they're all friends <laughs> <laughs> oh you know as i was reading your book and and um and after how you mentioned the like giving little bits of what you may do for the second i'm like oh she has to read the feed because yeah, yeah. i just loved it. it totally made the time come alive yeah all those things that are so great about that setting. I normally like to underline in my books, I write in the margins all the time. It's a horrible book sin, I know, but like I do that a lot so that when I'm going back to them, I can remember like what it was that stuck out to me in that book. And I read this book so fast that I didn't stop to outline anything or like underline anything because I was like, I just have to know what happens. But like, the tension all the way through, the suspense, the way that like all of the different character stories were yeah. so intertwined together and everything mm-hmm. was so good. I don't have words. I'm a horrible author because I can't think of anything to say, but it's so good. I know. And it's just been like, that was the one that so hooked me because I love the suspense kind of driving it and how it's about, you know, about people that aren't mentioned in the, well, the thief on the cross is a part of the story, but it's like his backstories and then the characters surrounding them just. Well, and like, I love how throughout the book, they have to like realize who Jesus is there's yeah. you know, like a certain amount of like, is he just like a healer? Does he just heal people? Does he just do miracles? Is he a speaker? Is he going to lead them in some kind of, you know, revolution, become a king of some kind? And that's in better, mm-hmm. but <laughs> specifically in this case, like, <laughs> I'm just like, you're following along and you know who Jesus is and you're just wanting them yeah. to like, you're like, no, you don't understand. You don't just, and it's like so interesting to think about, like, <clears throat> even in those days after Jesus was crucified, waking mm-hmm. up the next day, what's going through your head at that point? Like, oh. not knowing like I, Jesus is going to rise again, like not knowing the full story mm-hmm. hasn't happened yet. I just, I loved how that brought that to life for me. Yeah, it was very much bringing all those lives all those tensions that whole setting and I like we often talk like you know with my family like well if you could travel to any time what would you do and so many people say oh I would travel to like Jesus's time but it's like I would be afraid that I wouldn't recognize or value him enough if I could live in that time because then it was like then it would be so much worse (laughs) like you know and Thief really puts into perspective too how how high the stakes were like without Jesus yes. and just mm-hmm. how much these people could gain or lose at any given moment 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, definitely high stakes, definitely suspense. I feel like that's just so what drew me into it and just makes it one of those really captivating stories. I, I have on my list her other, her earlier one, mm -hmm. The Tomb. It's in my Because I feel like it's a yeah it's because that's a spin on Martha's backstory and yeah that just looks really interesting because it's like absolutely love thief yeah okay back to Ben-Hur though <laughs> I knew this is gonna happen this is one thing that the movie did not I don't feel like the movies ever picked up on was his willing to lead the revolution because I mean there were so many zealots that were following yeah. him and everything like that that's something that's often I feel overlooked mm -hmm, for and, sure. yeah and I was just so. rereading like the ending of Ben-Hur today before this podcast because <laughs> I was like <laughs> sitting there at my desk like I'm just gonna look at the the last few chapters here and there's just that moment at the cross when he realizes like not an earthly king but a heavenly king there's mm -hmm. something so powerful in the way that's written to realize like, you know, Judah Ben-Hur as a character carries like the weight of revenge or the weight of wanting like revolution, all these kinds of things with him throughout his whole yeah. life. And at that moment, it's like, that's not what this is about. And it's just so powerful. And I think the movies, they capture that to a certain extent, but in the book, it's just so much more of a like, like just that willingness to just put that behind you and be like, no, this is this is what this is about. We had it wrong. I love it so much. Yeah, and I mean, that's that's why movies can do to a certain extent, I feel like engage you visually, but really to gain those insights in the written word or the story format is just so powerful. Yeah. And I love that about it. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what's another one of yours? I today, looking in front of me, brought us the novelization of the movie Risen by Angela Hunt. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't know if you've seen the movie, but like it's... I, I feel like I saw part of it. <laughs> it's the one about the, the soldier who goes uh, to inspect the tomb and finds it empty. And then it's okay. from like, the Roman soldier's perspective of like trying to find the body. And, and mm. like, figure out like what the Christians did with it. What did the disciples do? So it's this whole like centurion's perspective of like, you know, and so technically there's not a whole lot of passion week in there because the majority of the book takes place after the resurrection, but you see like the right. crucifixion, you see like the next couple of days and then you see, and we all know, oh, Jesus rose from the dead. But like, they don't know yeah. that they're thinking like, he, he, they took the body, they hid it somewhere. So you really see it from, like a non-Christian perspective, because Christian oh. exists at that point. <laughs> but like right. seeing it from that that perspective of like trying to figure it out. So the character, I can't remember his name, but he goes on this journey. I couldn't pronounce it even if I could remember it. So it's probably for the best. Yeah. He goes on this journey and he like tracks down disciples, tracks down people that say they were healed by Jesus, and mm -hmm. he interviews them all. And at a certain point, you know, like not to spoil anything. But like at a certain point he realizes like, I can't reconcile this. And he has to like make this decision of like, and like to do so would go against the Roman soldier lifestyle that he's in. Cause that's his job mm -hmm. is to bring to justice whoever took the body or did whatever they did. 
and yeah. knowing that like we know that's not going to happen he's not going to find the body so it's just mm -hmm. it's, it's, there's a lot of suspense and something I love about the book that the movie doesn't do because I liked the movie a lot but there were a lot of parts in it where I was like this is developing a little slowly for my taste one of the things that the book does is that it splits the POV and you get the this um, the male perspective from the centurion, but the book adds Angela Hunt take adds in this character of a, a Jewish woman, and you're oh. seeing the same story from the perspective of this Jewish woman and this Roman centurion, and their lives intersect as well in the book. And it's just another one of those things where I'm like, I love the book more than the movie. <laughs> And the book is based off the movie, but it's so good. And I just like, Piper's here. Yeah. <laughs> Offering her opinion. <laughs> she has something to say. Piper, can you calm down? Thank you. and like it just I forgot what I was gonna say but it's really good and I like the idea of um, I think a lot of times we explore the context of the passion and the passion week in terms of what it meant for Jewish people living at that time and I like how we see a different side in this book of like the Roman perspective because they didn't have he has to go through this journey of learning Jewish tradition and Jewish religious background to be able to understand why Jesus was so powerful at that point and you get to really see it from a complete outside perspective and I like that a lot because um, I think we do focus a lot on the Jewish perspective and all the things that Jesus did that make sense more sense within Jewish context or like Judeo-Christian values and to explore it from an outsider's perspective who has no understanding of you know Jewish religion no understanding of Hebrew tradition any of that which is very fascinating that really is fascinating. And I do love it when authors take that on and give us that a different culture looking into it. And I feel like that, that game gives us so much, it gives us that new perspective and what they would. And it's like, I think of those and I don't feel like that's too far reaching even in the world yeah. of fiction too, because you have the soldier who was at the foot of the cross saying he was, um, this was a son of God. You have, I think it's in Luke. Here I go, randomly thinking that I know where it is. Um, but you have that one. There is one line that it says, "And this, so, um, and this man." Like it's almost like he references that he's he's almost in. It almost sounds like he's there in their community, still able to give that eyewitness advice. Yeah, saying that this really didn't did or didn't happen. You know, and it was like. I feel like that there was an impact mm -hmm. in the people around it. So I like seeing that play out in fiction yeah. too. And like the thing about it too, is that I think that it gives us modern perspective as well for how mm -hmm. people who aren't familiar with Christianity today might encounter yeah. the gospels. And I like the book because as he's interviewing these people, he gets all this like proof and evidence for like the, the truth that we believe today. And you're just hearing this from like, as though you're hearing it for the first time and to imagine like that's so many other people's experiences even today is hearing yeah. this for the first time. And I feel like it was almost like a crash course in apologetics, if you will, of just like, this is such, I loved it. I loved it so much more than the movie. Highly mm -hmm. recommend read it, Nicole. <laughs> okay, okay. Adding it to the list. I do need to do that, yeah.
So speaking of apologetics, I feel like this is the perfect time to mention in um, one that I read quite a few years ago. And it's by Elton Gansky, Crime Scene Jerusalem. So this is again, kind of after, directly after the Passion Week. But like, I loved, I read like so many apologetics Um, books and I just I always loved it whenever there was a pastor that talks about the archaeological evidence in the Bible like I was sitting in rapture with my notepad just going through it and I love hearing the factual so I feel like Mm -hmm. crime scene Jerusalem so that's a little bit of a twist because it's almost kind of like a time travel where you have a modern CSI agent transported back in time and he sees and he doesn't know if it's a vision, if this is a dream, but he is taken around and sees the different evidence laid out and he is not a believer. And so he gets to see the evidence and the aftermath from what actually happened that he didn't think was real a real event because you have that argument. And I like anything kind of like time travel, probably going back to my Hanna-Barbera Adventures yeah. of the Bible. <laughs> But it's like, I loved how that brought that modern thing that it, it, it will stand up to the yeah. test of time. And it is true that there is background for that and that these were real people who recorded yeah. it. So I enjoyed that one too. That sounds so fascinating. I'm like, mm, this is just giving me more reasons to spend my money. It's fine. <laughs> my wallet will recover. <laughs> And I mean, this was, it was like a early 2000s. Like, I mean, I feel like it was one of his earlier ones. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I just, that was one that I read and was on my keeper shelf. And I was talking about it so much to my family. They got tired of it. And <laughs> <laughs> that was before I had Bookstagram. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, now you have an outlet. <laughs> yeah. The question is, does yeah. it help though? Does it make a difference having an outlet or do you still bug your family? a little bit sometimes I if I need to like flash vent sometimes my brothers suffer but (laughs) (laughs) in the heat of the moment you know it's funny when I was reading the thief I'm a very like audible reader I don't read out loud but as I'm reading I'll just sit there and just be like (gasps) and just like make these like live reactions and my husband will be sitting in the other room and I'll just be like (gasps) And he'll like jokingly respond like, oh, wow, that's terrible, honey. Like from the other room, not knowing at all what's going on. She's like, it is, it really <laughs> is. He just goes with it. But I'll sit there and just like, I've legitimately screamed in the middle of reading a book. It's horribly embarrassing. <laughs> I try to temper down my um, reactions, but it's like, yeah, sometimes it's hard to hold it in. <laughs> oh. Okay, what's another one of your picks? What do I want? I'm going to go with Mary Magdalene by Diana Wallace-Taylor. Okay. I I like this one because it's one of the few that I've seen. I've seen a lot more now that like we're getting the guideposts, Ordinary Women of the Bible Mm -hmm. series and all those different things. But it was one of the first ones I saw that actually told the Passion Week and Jesus Ministry perspective from a named biblical figure. And not just like mm. someone that he encountered or a fictional character, but it's a named person that we know was a part of his ministry. And I just really, I love so many of the themes in this one. It's probably my favorite Diana Wallace Taylor book. I've read a few, 
this one's the only one that like has stuck in my head like long term after I've read it. But one of the things that I love about this one is that it's just her whole life story from like the time she was very, very young to when she met Jesus to like when Jesus was crucified and then risen again. Like you deal with like, you know, the demon possession and Jesus casting out demons from her and all that kind of stuff, which is just fascinating to me because you just, there's so much backstory to that that I don't think we consider all the time when we're reading like, oh, this person was deaf, this person was blind, this person was fill in the blank. And you don't think like about how that affects their daily lives, but in biblical fiction you do. <laughs> and when well, you get to like, explore it. Yeah, and I love this book in particular because um it's towards the end of the book and this isn't even a spoiler because it's just the bible <laughs> towards the end of her story like she finds jesus's tomb empty and goes back to tell everyone like what's going on and all this stuff and it, you'd think it would end there and i think a lot of books tend to end like at the resurrection or at the crucifixion because that's like your pivotal moment right but, you know, she goes back, she tells this story and it starts what we know of now as like the early Christian church movement. But then afterwards you get like a little glimpse of her life of like, well, what next? <laughs> like you have all of right. this, this hype that builds up to this one moment. We spend all year talking about it. We spend whole sermon series in church developing this and trying to understand this, but then what happened afterwards? And I think that's why I love this book so much is because the pivotal message is that afterwards she has a story to tell and she just continues to tell her story. And I think the major theme in it is, and it comes from a Bible verse, but again, I can't remember which one, but um, like this has been done to you so that the work of God can be revealed and that kind of theme and just like kind of putting it into perspective like there's a reason that you're enduring whatever it is you're enduring or that they did had whatever affliction that they had in bible times and you just really i really like how it runs with that theme and that verse and that idea and really fleshes it out and develops it of like what that means to be a tool that gets used by god to demonstrate like the glory of christ and who christ was and the magnitude of his ministry on the rest of the world. So I yeah. really, really like that one. And on top of that, there's just so many other side characters in this book that I love and relationships and things just to go off on a tangent about like the actual story of it outside of the biblical story. It's fantastic, but I really like that one a lot. And it's one of the few I've seen, like I said, where like a named biblical figure is the main character, um, which yeah. is an old move in biblical fiction. <laughs> especially in the it new yeah yes it really is and you know when you were talking about how all these people that were like healed or were their disciples you know mm -hmm. and them telling their testimony and everything I mean how many times did Jesus that it's recorded that mm -hmm. Jesus heals somebody yeah. and doesn't say to follow yeah. him Mm -hmm. he tells them to go and tell others and it's yeah. just like I feel like that's such a big thing like it wasn't just the 12 mm -hmm. you know I I feel like it's like I feel like those people were so overlooked those were kind of the first missionaries they had this radical transformation yeah. and and they were told not to fall not to come after him mm -hmm. but to, to stay in their town or wherever and yeah. keep them telling that so my pastor has this saying that he says all the time at like almost every sermon 
And it's sometimes a story just needs to be told. Like sometimes all mm -hmm. you have to do is to just keep telling your story or keep telling the story of the Bible. Um, yeah. And like that story will reach somebody's ears who needs to hear it. And I just feel like this book really plays into that super well and just shows you like more of the after of like after Jesus ascended into heaven, then what happens? Like that immediate yeah. time of like, and you know, after the ascension, Mary Magdalene just goes back to regular day-to-day -day life. <laughs> it's like, well, the guy I was following for forever, kind of not here anymore. Things are yeah. changing and it's like, well, how do you go on living in daily life? And that's so important to modern Christians too, is that we get really caught up in just day-to-day, -day, especially during like lockdown, <laughs> like get up, put on clean pajamas, sit in front of a computer, do your job over and over and over again. And it's like, well, yeah. how do you keep living your faith in that day-to-day -day moments? It's a very, it's a very good ending for this book is all I will say. Very good work. <laughs> Okay, I'm gonna have to look at that because yeah, that is a really interesting look into mm -hmm. that. So it's I mean one of those books that I also read in public. I horrible decision. I took it to a mall and I sat because I was waiting for my husband to get off work or something, and I was just sitting in the mall and I accidentally screamed in the mall. It was horribly embarrassing. But <laughs> if that's any indication of how much I enjoyed this book, there you go. Go read it. Do with that novel. Oh. <laughs> It has the Jenna stamp of screaming public <laughs> yeah. rating. Mm -hmm. Oh, that is funny. Okay, so I mean, that's probably the end of my list, but it did pop into my head. And again, I'm going to go back to um, movies, but I'm because I've only watched the movie adaptation of it, but The Rope. Mm. Yeah, I've only seen it. <laughs> And I love, like, between, like, it was always Ben-Hur and The Robe. And I know it's, uh, so it's the fictional, fictionalized version of a centurion who was yeah. there at Jesus's resurrection yeah. or um, crucifixion. And then kind of the, and then he has to go back kind of like Risen. Risen actually yeah. made me remember that because I had totally forgotten about it. And it's an older classic, but it's like, mm -hmm. that again was the whole, Peter being setting up the early church and then he comes back after Pentecost when all this stuff is starting yeah. to get the, the Roman perspective of that and yeah I mean I love the movie I just love those type of stories mm -hmm. yeah very so. very true I brought one more book so okay <laughs> I had to this is gonna you're probably gonna laugh but I had to bring it this book it doesn't technically take place during Passion Week but you know me probably, so I had to bring it up. It's Land of Silence by Tessa Afshar. I can't not okay. talk about this book whenever I talk about New Testament or Jesus-centric fiction, because um, it's a book about the woman with the issue of blood, which mm -hmm. is a nameless figure in the Bible, but she is a figure in the Bible. And again, I love this book for many, many reasons, most of which include the amount of plot twists that rendered me like speechless and hyperventilating and very, very anxious for like days after I finished it. Um, but it's, it's so good. Cause you really, it's, it's similar to Mary Magdalene in the sense that you're like, you're, you're getting the whole life story. It's not just like you read, Oh, the woman had an issue of blood. Like you're hearing from her, you know, very early childhood days all the way up till her adulthood. 
Yeah. And the thing that's interesting about this book to me is that she gets healed by Jesus and then that's kind of it. And then, you know, you have like later on in the book, years pass and, you know, you find out that they're Christians and all that kind of stuff. But like, you don't actually see the crucifixion or the resurrection in this book. You hear mm-hmm. about it secondhand. And like how many people just yeah. got it and then had to like kind of go on faith and be like, well, I like hearing stories from other people, just getting like witnessed to when you weren't there. And like this woman met Jesus at a certain point in her life, he healed her. But in the story, she just kind of gets healed and then goes on her merry way. Um, And her life is forever changed, but then she's not around for like the, the rest of Jesus' ministry and his life on earth. And then you hear about it secondhand. And that's something that's super interesting to me to read about is how many people maybe met Jesus or encountered Jesus at an earlier point. And then yeah. like, we're kind of talking about just everyday people or people who may have known him or been neighbors, even like all that kind of thing to just yeah. like hear from somebody else later. Oh, remember that, that guy? Yeah. He got crucified. And then they say he rose from the dead and like, listen to this amazing story to just kind of put that into perspective. And like, that's to a certain extent yeah. how we experience the Bible today in modern yeah. times is like, we just hear it from other accounts and from other stories. And that's something that I like about Land of Silence is that little aspect of relatability to the Gospels and the Passion Week, but then also just understanding how Jesus' ministry, a single moment in his ministry, could impact someone's entire life, even without them necessarily being there for his entire ministry or his, like, the pivotal events as we think of them today. So that I is a, that. Yeah, that is a really good, because it, it brings it back to those, you know, those people that he um he would heal and then he would move on you're right it's like he went you know for what three years Mm -hmm. throughout the you know the countryside people all those people that and then yeah how they would hear that 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 really Mm -hmm. that's one of the few tessa afshar i have left to read so i'm gonna have to get i'm gonna cry nicole (laughs) (laughs) to me like the best one I'm convinced it is my absolute favorite one it's like it's it's the peak Tessa F. Shaw book (laughs) my voice is getting super high and squeaky I really care about this (laughs) oh yeah I have that one and um Bread of Angels to read those are the last two that I have so well read Land of Silence first okay preferably start it sometime in the next week just little hint there (laughs) (laughs) okay 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 now I'm intrigued yes (laughs) okay so I guess since we've gone through quite a few yes let's talk about your book because are we gonna talk about me (laughs) no and it's um because yours Mm -hmm. takes place during or has a portion of it that takes place during this time Mm -hmm. um so I'm kind of like curious, where did this idea, what was your initial inspiration to write this time period, this event? Well, going back to Ben-Hur, <laughs> <laughs> I have always been super fascinated and obsessed with and just adored the story of Ben-Hur. And I, in hindsight, now think that the author of Ben-Hur and I probably could have been, you know, coffee buddies. Um, because my story 
comes from this idea, the same idea of just people that Jesus encountered early on in his ministry and in his life, just being like, mm-hmm. well, they know this, but like people at that point would have laughed or mocked or just not understood mm-hmm. at, like what they were going through. So it was around Easter. It was my first Easter with my husband. We were living alone in Arizona, just the two of us. I'm from Northern California to the people listening. So that's where all my family is. I live there now, but we were living in Arizona briefly while we were in college. And I remember being kind of sad because I'm, that was the first holiday that my family couldn't come visit me for. Oh. And so like all the normal traditions were kind of just gone. And I was sitting there watching Ben-Hur, um, the, the Passion, Jesus of Nazareth, the Bible miniseries, Son of God. Like I was going down the list, right, mm-hmm. of all these ones. And I was watching uh, specifically The Miracle Maker, which I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's kind of an obscure movie. It's a stop motion animation version of The Passion Week and Jesus' Ministry. I feel like my little brother and sister did that. My brother is obsessed with stop motion. So I feel yeah. like we have seen that at one point. Yeah. Yeah. So that's um, uh, like little name drop here. That's probably my favorite adaptation of Jesus's ministry I've seen, um, which is really funny because like I watched it when I was really, really little. I think it came out in like 2000 or something, but it's stop motion. And I just, to go on a brief tangent, I feel like when you have animation, there's so much more in the Bible that you can capture with animation in ways that you maybe can't, that you're limited by when you're doing like real practical effects or special effects in film. And I love um, the Miracle Maker specifically for that because there's, it's just really great. But I was watching the Miracle Maker and I was just like looking at all these, um, these little stop motion figures in the background. (laughs) And I was like, man, (laughs) all these people watching Jesus do these things had stories. They're real Mm -hmm. people. They all, they're just, but they're just witnessing. And I'm like, they're not, they don't speak in the movie, in any adaptation of Jesus' life. There's a lot of people in it that don't speak. They're just sitting there like watching or observing. And I'm like, what were you, what goes through your mind when you're just observing the literal son of God, but you don't know it yet. Like that just fascinates me. And then thinking about Ben-Hur, which has obviously been a huge inspiration for just my whole life. Um... Then her specifically opens with like the wise men, right? And the wise men who came to see Jesus and followed the star are kind of like a recurring element throughout the book and throughout the story. And in my book, I remember, didn't even occur to me at the time, like the similarity to Ben-Hur, but I remember thinking like, imagine as I was thinking about all these side characters and nameless characters and people that we don't hear talk or anything, as I was watching all these movies, I was like, imagine, being a shepherd and then just like being told by angels, having this supernatural, crazy, amazing experience. And then seeing the Messiah, seeing the savior, being told that he's here, the time is now. And then just like going back out into the sheep fields, like nothing happened. Like, what do you, how do you live with the knowledge of the Messiah? And especially too, like for shepherds who would have been kind of a lowly class I think you can imagine to a certain extent how many people would have just looked at you when you were like, oh no, angels came and told me this. Like people would have just looked at you and been like, um, uh, no, I think you're, I think you're a little off your rocker. I'm not really sure if I believe you. Um, and so out with the sheep too much. (laughs) Yeah. So the story idea stemmed from this idea of this shepherd family. Um, and my main character Shamira is from like a family of shepherds. 
and that's, you know, not to give out spoilers because I very easily will, but it just stems from like her journey of growing up, hearing this story from her grandfather, knowing that like her grandfather hands down believes that the, mm-hmm. the time of the Messiah is there and like nobody else does, but like she's grown up hearing, hearing that story her whole life. So she has no reason to question it. And she's like, yeah. well, of course the Messiah is coming. Like, this is what I've been told my whole life, which to a certain extent I relate to having grown up in a Christian family of never really like having to question, like, of course Jesus exists. Of course, yeah. is real. of course it happened. Like, and it's not until, you know, she's confronted with all these other things and she starts to grow up and hard things happen to her and her family where mm-hmm. she has to kind of really think like, is this what I believe? Is this what I'm willing to follow to stake my life on? Mm-hmm. All that kind of thing. And it's again, just one of those stories uh, that fictional characters uh, can remind us of real people who probably would have just been in in the mix in, with Jesus in day-to-day life. So a lot of Ben-Hur, but that's where the story idea came from. Well, and yeah, and, and you you also think it's, it's alluded to a few times like with um, Nicodemus. Mm-hmm and um joseph of arimathea how there was a big pressure not to follow jesus so i mean that would have been something like i mean it was no light thing to to follow after and to do that because your main religious their their hierarchy was telling them not to so yeah that's really interesting to explore that part of that culture yeah so what what was hardest for you in writing this you're (laughs) getting your first draft or edits (laughs) i've ranted so much about editing you know that it's editing i know that's what i want to (laughs) know editing was horribly hard the first draft was hard the hardest thing that i had to do was write like the crucifixion like how do you put mm, that into yeah. words this like immense horror and right. editing was even harder because I wrote it and I knew that it wasn't very good than the first draft and I was like this is not okay but I need to finish the story so I can move on and I did a lot of self-editing and then I hired an editor and I did beta reading and that was not in order but that's what happened <laughs> and I remember just working on it with my editor And my editor suggesting to me, like, you should change the POV of the crucifixion scene. My editor made a lot of suggestions and I loved a lot of their suggestions, but I think to a certain extent, when you're self-published and you're hiring an independent editor, an independently contracted editor, their job is to point out every possible flaw and that's absolutely what they're supposed to do. Um, Mm -hmm. Versus like, you know, a traditionally published editor that maybe you have like a Per, I don't know how this works because I'm not traditionally published, but that you have like a personal relationship with or that you've worked with before yeah. or who's on the same page as you, like you're all going to be on the same side because you're all working on the same story. You all know what you want the story to tell because that's a part of being traditionally published. They You pitch mm-hmm. the story and then they pay you based on that story. Um, yeah. But for me, when I hired my editor, my editor's job is to sit there and point out every possible argument that could be made about every possible plot point wow and like so I'm just sitting here she's like you could say this or you could keep it this way but just keep in mind some people might think this 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 and this 
Um, or you could change it to this. So I'm getting like all these different ideas flooding around in my head. And that's where I had to realize as the author, like, okay, I don't have to, I can't physically take every possible criticism because otherwise mm -hmm. there's the plot will just get lost amongst yeah. like trying to follow all these different paths and different avenues of ways to tell this story. But so there were a lot of criticisms where I was like, okay, this just isn't for me. Or mm -hmm. there was a lot where it was like, there's a, there's something valid in this that I can take from that. So editing was hugely hard, but like one major good thing that came from editing <clears throat> is changing the POV and the perspective of the crucifixion um, and splitting it up differently. And I think that doing mm -hmm. so made that more powerful because um, in my book, there's two main characters. There's Shamira, who is, you know, from a lowly shepherd's family. And then there's everybody's favorite man, Asa. <laughs> did you know he was going to be so popular? <laughs> I did. I did. Um, and, you know, he, he and Shamira are obviously, they've got some feelings for each other. But mm -hmm. for a large portion of the book, it seems impossible because Asa is a Levite who's studying to become a temple priest. And Shamira mm -hmm. is this lowly shepherd girl who's obsessed with finding the Messiah, which is kind of borderline blasphemous. So right. there's a lot of complications in this relationship. But being able to split up that crucifixion scene to really see what it means to both of those different perspectives, like the perspective of, you know, a girl who's, who's, um, um, who's like rested her whole life and all of her hopes and dreams mm -hmm. on Jesus. And then also yeah. to see this other perspective of a, someone who spent their whole life studying, you know, messianic prophecy, what that means in context to really split that up and dig into it from both perspectives was hugely helpful. And that's something I'm really excited for people to read, but editing it and writing it was extremely hard. <laughs> I, I bet, like I cannot imagine how much work went into that because yeah and you really did I really did as as when you you're I really loved how much emphasis you put into that I mean I remember going to see Passion of the Christ mm -hmm. in theaters I probably couldn't see the screen because I was crying so hard in points but it was like I I really do appreciate the the ones that do make you you feel and they explore they explore those hard facts of mm -hmm. that scene because it is so important. We can't, that's pivotal. And I love it that you have taken that on, mm -hmm. show that through the eyes of other characters, so. Yeah, it's really interesting too, because a large portion of the book takes place over the course of eight days, eight to nine days-ish, roughly. Mm -hmm. uh, because you have like a little, there's a little bit of prologue at the beginning and then time kind of flashes forward. And then the majority of the book takes place over like a week, week and a half, the Passion Week. And mm -hmm. that's something that was really interesting too, to try and figure out. And I think, like, how, how do you put a whole book in the span of just like a few days, a handful of days? Because yeah. I think a lot of times in books or in biblical fiction, books can span months to years of time. Yes, sitting there trying to just make a whole story happen in a week and a, so a large portion of the of that book focuses on like just that that crucifixion those last few days before before the crucifixion and resurrection and I think that that was something that was really important for me that I wanted to focus on heavily 
was just the fact that like it may seem or it may feel like this is a large portion of the book but like think about having to live through each of those hours um yeah and read through the gospels in a matter of minutes but for these people they had to live in that you had to live through that day and then through the next day in just complete darkness and then through the next day not knowing what was going to come so very exciting <laughs> that is really exciting and i i love how how you're saying it's like you can make these times come alive and i think it'll give us more appreciation for what people did even in the records because I mean we can always look back and say oh I would have done differently but it's yeah. like but would we have you know he, people mm -hmm. are people and mm -hmm. you know it's interesting to see that play out in story yeah so what do you feel was one of your favorite things about writing this story of Jerusalem I haven't even said the title <laughs> Jerusalem Stop. Uh, well, my favorite thing about writing Jerusalem's Daughter um, was, I mean, probably Asa. <laughs> he's just- That was my favorite thing to read. <laughs> he's a really great guy. You know what's funny too? Like, yeah. this is a little bit of insider information. Shamira as a character, she's feisty, she's passionate, mm -hmm. she's a whole bundle of contradictions. Um, mm -hmm. And I love her. She's a little firecracker, I really relate, but Asa, on the other hand, is just this like steadying presence for her. And it's, it's kind of hilarious because in every round of editing, I'm not sure if I mentioned this, but I like, I think I've done 21 drafts <laughs> so far uh, before final proofread. Um, 21 is hopefully the final proofread I'll have to do. But in every single draft, Shamira's scenes would just be getting slashed and red pen all over them, trying to figure out like what is going on, which is very fitting for her character. She's very difficult. And then like Asa's scenes, even with my professional editor, I'd be submitting these Asa-focused scenes, barely touched this guy, like barely a red pen mark on any of that paper, because nobody <laughs> wants to touch perfection. <laughs> I feel like the, those two, it was the total like opposites mm -hmm. and seeing that between them. I just, I love, you know, as much dialogue and those interactions that you yeah. could do because it was like, because it's so, it's so entertaining to see. And I feel like you, you get, I'm trying not to talk about it with, talk about it, <laughs> but it's like, yeah, that, that was really fun to see. And I loved seeing like opposites and how they complement each other. And I feel mm -hmm. like Isa and Shamira really did yeah. do that. So with their characterization, like did they, did you know exactly how much of a firecracker Shamira was gonna be? Did you know, like, or did that, do, what I guess I'm trying to say is, <laughs> Are those characters that live in your head or did you create them or did they yeah, take their own? This is a really fun question. Um, I have a great answer. Uh, Shamira was the first character to pop in my head as I was sitting there watching all these Easter movies, like I said, in that in like 2018-ish, 2017. I can't even remember when I got married. This is horrible. <laughs> um, 2018 spring, I believe. I was sitting there and I very vividly, this picture of this girl just popped into my head 
her nose, mm. her hair, specifically her nose, um, and everything about her was just suddenly very there, and she just had this very stubborn stance, very, like, she was very passionate about her convictions, essentially, and mm -hmm. I remember just, like, not being able to get her out of my head, and her name popped in at that exact same moment, Wow. Um, which, like, I'm, I read a lot of biblical fiction, so I'm familiar with biblical names, so it's not that out of the blue, but, like, her name pops in my head and just these adjectives describe her and all this stuff and she's just there and I'm like well I don't really want to write biblical fiction because that seems like a lot of pressure so I'm gonna pass but then Shamira in her most Shamira-esque way refused to leave me alone so I had to write her story and what was interesting is I outlined the story backwards um because Dang. the first two things to pop into my head was first who Shamira was and then second, the very last scene in the book, which I can't really talk about, but wow. the very last scene was in my head. And I remember writing that last scene, which is now almost still very similar to how I originally wrote it. And I remember writing that last scene and being like, okay, so I know how it ends. <laughs> now I have to go back through and like plot backwards and figure out how they get to this point. And that's oh, wow. to really discover more about her family and all of that kind of stuff. So she pretty much stayed mostly the same throughout the entire thing. Um, but the biggest difference was Asa, because originally Asa wasn't a Levite. He he had no connections to the temple, no connection to like becoming a priest whatsoever. He was just some guy <laughs> that was, you know, really cute, but <laughs> just some guy. And I remember at a certain point being, uh, I'm going to say 25% to 30% into the first draft. We'll go with a third of the way through the first draft being like, I just don't know what this guy's motivations are for being here. I don't know why he's here. And I remember sitting there and thinking, I'm like, what can I do or, that could make his perspective more interesting or that mm -hmm. could make his story more interesting? And I went back to my outline going through all those main points and trying to figure out like where his character is the most present or where there's maybe something missing and all that kind of stuff. And I remember just being like, oh my word, <laughs> Asa, how could I not have known this? You are a Levite, you are studying the temple, your father wants you to become a priest. You're the mm. polar opposite of who Shamira is and her background and all of that kind of stuff. And just thinking to myself in that moment of like, whoa, there's so much I can bring from that perspective of like yeah. how Jesus fit into the context of Jewish religion and culture at that time um, by having that perspective of someone who's in the temple in that vein. And there's so many important um, moments in the gospels that take place mm -hmm. primarily focused with like priests and Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes and all that kind of stuff where I realized I was like, not having that perspective would seriously weaken the whole story to a yeah. certain extent, because having that perspective brings you not just, you know, who Jesus was to like the common everyday person, but who Jesus was in the context of that religion. And that was really interesting to be able to then start studying, you know, what would they have known or speculated about who the Messiah was or was not going to be um yeah. or if they believed or didn't believe in the coming of the messiah because that was something highly debated in different sects of jewish religion um so that was really interesting but his character i always knew what he looked like 
<laughs> but I didn't always know who he was um, in terms of like his background. So that that was definitely the biggest change, I think. Wow, that is that is really and it is so. I feel like it added so much to have that perspective because I don't feel like that's explored much. Yeah. From the, you know, they're kind of painted in so many things as the villains, but I mean, you know, there there must have been some, you know, like like Nicodemus, like you know, there were prominent Jews who were genuinely uh-huh. searching. So yeah. that's an interesting perspective. If you were because you have such a a presence of what they looked like, what mm-hmm. they, um, what they were from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. If your book were to be cast in a TV or movie adaptation, who would the two main characters be played by? So this was a really hard question to think about. And I have a YouTube video that's scheduled to come out sometime around when this podcast comes out. But okay. the- like my dream cast of Jerusalem's Daughter if it was to be made into a movie or TV series. And I specifically said in that video, some of these actors are too old or too young, or maybe they've even passed away by now. So this is really just a dream cast if they could all exist in an alternate universe at the right age and for them to all fit in. But what was interesting is, as I was preparing for that video, I was looking back through my Pinterest boards and trying to figure out like who I thought of mm-hmm. that could pull like visually off these characters. And for Asa, that was really hard. Because <laughs> I was like, all my pictures on my Pinterest board are just like not helpful. It's just vibes. No, no actual description, just vibes. And just feelings, ideas, concepts, colors, if you will. And I remember being like, I don't even know who's considered cute right now (laughs) in like in the general media world. Like, who do people like even? I don't, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. So I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to have to go with it because it's fine. So I think for Asa, I have settled on in my alternate universe world, Brenton Thwaites. who was in like the giver movie a long time ago that most of us don't talk about oh okay i remember remember five is another big hit (laughs) these are all such obscure movie references but um i just really like his smile and Mm. that's something about asa is just his joyful spirit and kind Mm. smile and brenton thwaites has a very nice smile so that's my okay. pick for Asa. And then for Shamira, that was so hard because oh, she's so specific in my head. And oddly enough, in all of my like character boards and profiles, I do pick like models and reference photos. Um, yeah. I usually try to find like black and white photos so that I can imagine hair color, eye color, mm. all that kind of stuff. So I'm like, I don't know who could be Shamira um, cause all I have are these like black and white photos where in real life, the person probably doesn't look anything like her, but just their pose or something about them struck me. And I remember scrolling through IMDB and yeah. thinking of, and I'm, I'm not gonna be able to say this, but Anna de Armas, who's a Hispanic actress, I believe she was in, she's going to be in the new James Bond movie. That's the okay. only reason I know her. <laughs> And I remember looking at her and being like, she has the perfect nose. 
It's all about the nose. <laughs> it really is. And if you read the book, you'll know. But I was like, she has the perfect nose and eyes and just like kind of serious expression to her face, mm -hmm. um, which is something that I very, very much associate with Shamira. It's just kind of always having like a serious, maybe raised eyebrow kind of expression, um, just always deep in thought kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I remember seeing her picture and being like, she looks really familiar, but I don't know what. I don't know why, but she has the right nose. So I'm going to go with her. And then I, this morning I was scrolling through my Pinterest boards one more time. And I noticed that three years ago, one of the original photos I pinned for Shamira just so happened to be a picture of Anna Dar De Armas. And that's why she looks oh, so familiar wow. to me. She'd been on my Pinterest board that whole time and I didn't know it. Uh, but she just has, she has the right nose, the right facial expression. <laughs> That is funny. It's amazing how it's like those those images and that stuff can stay in there. And subconsciously, you've already filed it away. <laughs> okay, so wrapping this up, um, what do you really hope? What is your real hope that readers can take away from Jerusalem's Daughter? Yeah, so a major theme throughout the book is just the power of words and mm. the power of you know what you speak and what you say not even just so much as like oh look at me and all these things i can say i'm so such a good speaker that kind of thing but you know the power of words in prayer uh mm. the power of our words when we allow god to just use us and speak through us mm. and going back to like the what my pastor was saying the power of just being able to tell your story the story that only you can tell um yeah and using that story, using your words and not being afraid to, to just speak your story. Cause, and that's something that runs from the beginning of the book. You have this shepherd's family and this shepherd who has this story. And a lot of people are like, don't, don't talk about it. People are going to look at us funny. They're going to think we're weird. They're going to think you're crazy or all these different things. And it's, and people nowadays, may often call you crazy if you are a Christian and you yeah. may not want to tell that story, but um, the biggest thing that I hope people know and er, like glean from the story is just to be willing to tell your story and be willing to allow God to speak through you and just open yourself up to not being afraid to use your words, to ask God to use your words. I mean, that's a huge thing even when I'm writing is that I just want God to use my words to reach people for him. Like, I don't care if people think that I have amazing words and I'm this great speaker. I just want to be able to use the gift of words uh, to reach people for God. So that's, that's my big thing is just words and understanding like how powerful your words can be. Um, even when you don't know it, you never know what you might say in someone's life that might stick with them and completely change them and set them down on a path um, that you may not, you might not know, but it can change their life. And that is the beauty is that, that we won't always know either mm -hmm. what it's going to be, but it's like, I, I can remember like, it's amazing how those small nuggets can mean so much. So yeah. yep, definitely looking forward to seeing that and the release date. It is set. You have a March release date. Yes, March 16th of 2021. Awesome. So that is, and it is available on Amazon? Yes, it should be. Okay. Is that your only, um, okay, retail. Okay. All right. Well, 
I want to thank you so much for talking with me. This has been so much fun. Can't wait because now I have no more books to read. <laughs> Same. It's getting, it's getting to be that time of year. It's like I always intend to read all of these Passion Week books mm -hmm. that are around there. And then, yeah. Same yeah. same thing with Christmas books. <laughs> yeah. You never get to them. And then you read them in the middle of like August or something. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much again. Yeah, thank you. Okay.